Let me invite your attention to the fifth chapter of the Paul, of Paul's letter to the Galatian church. Galatians chapter 5. While you're finding that, let me just, um, I think most of you know this, or maybe some of you know it, but um, <clears throat> I've been with your high school students this past week, and uh, what you're about to hear is what they heard. Uh, the series we did was on Galatians 5, and the deal that we have is that if I, if I'm, I, I get permission from them to do them here as well. So what you're going to hear, it's going to take more than a week, but what you're going to hear is the same four sermons that they heard. Um, and we'll begin with the first six verses of Galatians chapter 5. You follow as I read. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith, working through love. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that endures forever. Guys, most commentarians would tell you that the book of Galatians is really nothing more than the book of Romans, the first edition. By that, they mean, and I mean this, in, in the early years of um, of the Christian church, that is, after Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, the gospel came under attack from all sides. And because of those attacks, Paul was, it, it was urgent for Paul to write out and make sure that the gospel be clearly explained. And so what he did in, in, in haste, um, uh, we're told, that he first wrote the book of Galatians and got it circulated so that the, the, uh, the, the essentials of the gospel, gospel could be protected. And then later on, he came back and took the book of Galatians as somewhat of the, uh, the, uh, the centerpiece, but then expanded it into the book of Romans. So what I'm saying is that the book of Galatians, because of the urgency that existed, is just the book of Romans. It's just the first draft of the book of Romans. Now, the the attacks that were leveled at the gospel, at least the, the earliest uh, of the attacks, um, as you might expect, came from Judaism. And um, the, the, the specific issue or the specific problem that Judaism had with the proclamation of the gospel was the role of the law. 
the role of the Mosaic law. Is the gospel saying that obedience to the law, that it's not required to save me? Well, that's exactly what the gospel is saying. I mean, you mean that none of my works contribute to saving me? Correct. Even my baptism? No, it it doesn't contribute. Oh, my tithing? No, it doesn't contribute either. So, if I understand what you're saying, I'm done. I am done with with the law. That's not what I'm saying. And there, ladies and gentlemen, is where the confusion entered. There has been a good deal of confusion uh, over the centuries of the Christian church over that very issue. That is the relationship between law and gospel. Martin Luther, one of my heroes, uh, said this, and I'm quoting him. He says, whoever knows well this art of distinguishing between law and gospel, him place at the head and call him a doctor of Holy Scripture. The, uh, the, the, the problem of trying to sort out the relationship between law and gospel has been around long before the de- today, ladies and gentlemen. But it's that issue, the relationship between law and gospel, that Galatians 5 addresses. This is not the only place where it is addressed, but it is a good one. And I, I hope you'll see that as we, as we uh, go through the whole chapter. But it opens, that is, uh, Galatians 5 opens with a statement of abject beauty. Let me read it. For freedom... Christ has set us free. Don't you love that? Freedom? I mean, that's an exhilarating word. It's a refreshing word. It's a, it's a captivating word. Freedom. It's a downright American word. We have, we, we, particularly we Americans, we love our freedom. And we hate anything that limits it. That reduces it, that challenges it, that is our freedom. Uh, unfortunately, in, in, in most instances, in, at least in the West, at least in our culture, the way that freedom is defined is all wrong. For most folks, <laughs> freedom means no restraints. No restraints at all. We alone get to define boundaries. If there is such a thing as boundaries, nobody tells us what we can do or can't do. And our culture, ladies and gentlemen, has convinced us that freedom means no restraints. Now, we're going to come back to that a little bit later. But for now, I want you to go back to verse 1 of Galatians 5. 
And I, I want you to try and notice what it is that Paul is doing. Um, Christianity is, in verse 1, presented in terms of freedom. Christ is then our, um, our liberator. Uh, conversion is an act of, uh, of emancipation. Christ has, has opened a prison door and, and, and one of the challenges apparently that Paul foresees is that Christians are prone to let people put them back under bondage because he says in verse, uh, verse one, stand firm therefore. I mean, you got to stand firm because one of the challenges that's going to face you as free people, that is, as, as Christians, is that people are going to want to put you back under bondage. They're going to want to rob you of this Christ-produced freedom. Don't let that happen. Stand firm. Christians have, have left this bondage behind. Don't let anyone uh, try to transfer you into some other prison. Now, there's another image in verse 1. There's another image besides this one about freedom. And, and uh, it has to do with slavery. There are two images in verse 1. One has to do with freedom. The other has to do with slavery. And you'll notice what he says. And uh, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, guys, I hope that image uh, registers with you. A yoke you know what a yoke is? One of those things that you buy at an antique store, you know, that's got those two holes in it, and it's got a bar in it, two holes, and two oxen put their heads in it, and it gets clamped around their necks, and they kind of trudge along and plow up the field. That's the image here. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery like some dumb brute beast. Now, guys, in verse 1, Paul says that Christians are free and that all else is slavery. But that's not exactly how your culture sees it. Um, That's not exactly how the culture portrays things, folks. In fact, your culture's perspective is pretty much the opposite of that. That is, the dumb brute beasts are the Christians. You poor, pathetic people missing out on all the fun, you know, being led around by the nose. (laughs) What a, what a disgusting life you have, you Christians. So what we have here, ladies and gentlemen, is Paul saying that becoming a Christian sets you free from bondage. And your culture saying just the opposite. Because for them to become a Christian forfeits all of your freedoms. Okay. Class, which is it? Who's right? Who's enslaved? Hmm? Is it the Christian that is enslaved? 
Or is it the Christian that's free? Which is it? Now, to help you make a, a more intelligent choice between those two options, I, I want to tell you a little bit more about those two options, okay? Um, and, and I want to start with the the culture's view of freedom and bondage and slavery and all. And specifically, to do that, I want to start with a, a, a brief discussion over their definition of freedom. Now, I mentioned it earlier. That is, the culture defines freedom as the absence of all restraints. Nobody, nobody tells me what to do. Now, let's examine that for, for just a minute. That, that definition of freedom. Nobody tells this boy what he's gonna do. <laughs> let's, let's, let's take a look at that. Now guys, if freedom means no restraint, does that mean that I can then eat or drink anything I want as much of it as I want, any time that I want, whenever I want, whatever I want to drink or eat. Well, no. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you would really be sick if you if you did that. I mean, okay. Um, again, using your definition of freedom—that is, if freedom means no restraint—does that mean? That I can be married to Susie and have as many other girlfriends as I want. Well, I mean, I guess you can, but I mean, if you're going to end up in court somewhere. <laughs> you know, I had a man, I'm, I'm um, working or walking with a man through a divorce that he's going through right now. And um, he's not divorced yet. He's just going through the divorce. He told me the other day that he has already spent $42,000. Not divorced yet. Now that sounds like a good deal, doesn't it? Just a little freedom. Or, um, again, if, 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 if freedom means that, that I have no restraints, then does that mean that as an athlete, I, uh, I can skip all the workouts, never practice, no, 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 take no batting practice, uh, shoot no jump shots, uh, run no post patterns, uh, and just show up for the game and expect to play and excel. Or maybe even a musician. Um, no scales for me, uh, none of that arduous practice business. I'm just gonna show up for the recital and, and let her rip. Or um, how about an uh, an academic? I'm not going to study any. No, 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 no. I, you know that's just it's just it's too boring. And so no study for me. I'm just going to show up for my ACT test and and I and I'll I'll do fine. Now guys, you, you know as well as I that in any of those examples, there are rules, there are restrictions, there are demands. There are restraints, and if I fail to observe them, I lose. I, I lose the freedom of enjoyable health. 
Go take a look, ladies and gentlemen, at somebody who's eaten and drunk anything they wanted to for as long as they want to, as much as they want to, whenever they want to do. And see what kind of freedom that is. Go take a look. The number of people who walk through divorces because... Because they didn't observe the rules. See what kind of freedom they're enjoying. Go take a look at an athlete that doesn't practice. And see how many victories he's got. Go talk to some musician. Who never practices. Just watch Dancing with the Stars. And watch what it looks like when you don't know what you're doing. But a lot of practice can make you into a pretty good dancer. Guys, those are, those are examples of restraints that don't hurt me. They help me. They add to my life. They don't subtract from my life. They add to to the quality and enjoyment of my life by imposing certain sets of rules and restraints and restrictions on me. Because, ladies and gentlemen, you listen. Freedom is not the absence of all restraints. Freedom is the presence of the right restraints. Freedom's not the absence of all restraints. That's that's insanity. Freedom is the presence of the right restraints. You know, I've told this story before. Every time I tell it, some sucker falls into or walks into my trap. But I'll tell it again. And uh, you can be the sucker today. Um, this is a true story. This is a true story. I heard it in seminary. I mean, gosh, I've been out of seminary 35 years. But I heard this Back in seminary, it was a it was a story of an elementary school, true story, an elementary school that was located on the corner of two six lane highways. Um, so you got six lanes going this way and six lanes going that way, and the school was located elementary school located right in the corner of those two six lane highways with all this terrible traffic, you know. Elementary school. And uh, they had built a, a, a fence around the the, uh, the schoolyard for obvious reasons. I mean, you know, to, to protect the students and, the, you know, nobody would get hit by the traffic and yada, yada, yada. But a group of parents got together and decided, true story, group of parents in the PTA got together and uh, they said, uh, you know, we don't like that fence. It, you know, it, make, it makes our... our, our, our our children look like a bunch of caged animals. Why? I mean, you would think that, that my children go to a reform school. I don't like that fence. I don't want that fence up. I want that fence taken down. And they kicked up such a stink and, you know, just gave the school board such grief over the fence. Finally, the school board buckled and took the fence down. And guess what happened the very next day? Now, if you are sitting in your pew thinking, 
that one of those kids wandered out into the traffic and got killed, then you're the sucker. Because that's exactly what didn't happen. Once the fence was taken down, the children were so frightened that they huddled and gathered in the center of the playground, fearing for their lives. Because, you see, ladies and gentlemen, once the restraints were up, they had freedom. Take the restraints away. You're in bondage. You take those walls down and all freedom is lost, ladies and gentlemen. Because you must understand that freedom is not the absence of all restraints. Freedom is the presence of the right restraints. And you, my thinking you are free by doing whatever it is that you want to do, friend. You, my friend, are in bondage. Just speaking to you about your soul just for a quick second. You who have decided that freedom means no restraints. When when do you know that you've done enough to satisfy God? To please him so that he will accept you? Well, I don't. I know you don't. And that, my friend, is bondage. Let me tell you about the other option. The gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's here's what the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaims. First, it proclaims that my access to God, my acceptance before God, rests wholly on the fact that I am related to Jesus Christ by faith. It is, it is not, it does not, nor will it ever depend on what I do, nor will I ever forfeit it, nor will I, it ever be taken from me, nor will it ever be threatened by what I fail to do. My conscience, says the gospel, is set free from the guilt of my sin And this dreadful struggle to keep the law well enough so that God will ultimately be pleased with me and let me in his heaven. The gospel says, never again do I ever have to wonder whether or not I've done enough. And this whole idea about a report card, a report card that, you know, that God grades me on my performance. No, I'm I'm accepted by God based not on my performance, but based on Christ's performance for me. He has lived up to all of God's standards for me. And all these failures of mine, and there's a bunch of them, Jesus Christ died to pay for. 
So everything wrong I did, he paid for. And everything good that God demanded from me, he accomplished. That is, Christ accomplished. And all of his merit becomes mine when I become a Christian. That's freedom. Do you see how freeing that is? Now let me show you this and I'm done. Verses 2 through 6 of our text this morning. Paul gives you a case study. What he's doing here is trying to give you an example of what submitting again to a yoke of slavery would look like. He says in verse 1, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so in verses 2 through 6, he gives you an example of doing something stupid like that. He gives you an example of submitting to a yoke of slavery. And the specific issue at stake in verses 2 through 6 is the issue of circumcision. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you're not going to make me explain what circumcision is, are you? I'll tell you this much. In terms of the 21st century, the, the, the similar item would be baptism. That is, what, what Paul was facing is a Judaistic audience that was saying, you will never be saved if you're not circumcised. In the 21st century, what we have is a clamor from, from certain Places that tells us, if I'm not baptized, I won't be saved. Now, what's the big deal, Jimmy? I mean, circumcision is just this, it's a minor surgical procedure, right? Not to Paul. For Paul, it was what it stood for. And it stood for a type of religion, a salvation accomplished by some good work that I did in obedience to the law. Faith in Christ is not enough. Something has got to be added by me. What is it? How much is it? Well, I don't know. That's bondage, ladies and gentlemen. The, the, the religion that Paul is describing here says that if you ever want to be right with God, you're going to have to finish what Jesus Christ began. I'm going to have to make a contribution. I, I'm, I'm going to have to pay part of the bill. Well, uh, how much and, and to whom do I pay? I don't know. That's bondage, ladies and gentlemen. And I want you to notice the language of the Apostle Paul. He blisters them, ladies and gentlemen. Blisters them. For tampering with the purity and the beauty and the freedom of the gospel. Notice what he says in verse 2. If you accept circumcision, you can plug in baptism there if you like. If you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. 
You can't have it both ways, ladies and gentlemen. If you add anything, you lose Christ. You trust in Christ alone or not at all. A Christ supplemented is a Christ supplanted. He's not done. Verse 3. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. How you like that word obligated, folks? Do you feel that yoke kind of sinks around your neck? Obligated. If you refuse Christ and him only, you're on your own. You want law? You want to be saved by works? Fine. Perfect obedience. Whoa. <laughs> yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Welcome to the bondage of trying to earn your own salvation by your good works. He's not done. Verse 4. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You're severed from Christ. Could that get any clearer? Guys, trying to earn your own salvation by your own performance. To Paul... Is cruel slavery. And worse than that, you're damned. So, my most basic freedom is a freedom from trying to work hard enough to be good enough to merit God's favor. Freedom from my own self-salvation project. I don't know about you, my friend. But I want you to know that I'm free. I'm free from that. Are, are you ready to be set free from the worry of wondering if you're good enough or you've done enough. Then I got a key for you. I got a key for you that will open your prison door. His name is Christ Jesus. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free.
Our Father, I, I do pray that you will make this clear, um, as clear as Paul has made it. And if I have muddled up the waters any, would you, would you um, clear them up? But Lord, would you help those who sit here this morning who think they can try to save themselves by some contribution that they might make? Would you cause them to see the great clarity of the gospel that is simply Christ and Christ alone. Those of us who know him, glory in the gospel message and would not dream of trying to tamper with it, add to it, change it, subtract from it. But if there are those here this morning who dare to do so, would you show them that not only are they in bondage, show them that they are doomed. Do that. And then show them the great beauty of freedom in Christ. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.